welcome to the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is your host, Ron Jacobus. We hope you enjoy these conversations on executive protection and security management as we meet with security practitioners and industry thought leaders. Welcome everyone to episode number 11 of the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. This is the first episode of season number two, and as always, this is your host, Ron Jacobus, and today I am joined by a collection of security thought leaders for our first ever panel discussion. In the stack with us today, we've got Kevin Dye, a longtime security practitioner, former Secret Service Special Agent, and current Senior Manager of Executive Protection at Procter & Gamble. Second man in the stack is James Cameron, a U.S. Army combat veteran sniper, former Blackwater and Triple Canopy private contractor, and currently the president, CEO of Security Concepts Group out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Number three in our stack is Gerard Baniello, a New Yorker by birth and internationally recognized board-certified protection professional with more than 28 years in the protective services industry, during which he has safeguarded celebrities, business executives, politicians, and foreign dignitaries, both domestically and abroad. Now, the last man in the stack, but certainly not least, is Chuck Andrews of the famed Friends of Chuck Networking Group. He started his law enforcement journey as a police explorer, later becoming chief of police of Brazoria County in Texas. In total, Chuck has more than 40 years of combined law enforcement, corporate security, business risk, and consulting experience. And with all that said, gents, it is a pleasure to have you with us today on the program. We've got plenty to discuss today. Uh, But before we dive in, I would like to give each of you an opportunity uh, to provide our listeners with your own one minute, one second overview of your protective security background and current work in the executive protection or security management field. And uh, then we'll get jumping into our discussion today. So whoever wants to jump in first, go right ahead. Ron, in this group here, I have very limited corporate executive protection anything. Uh, I'm very new to the field. Uh, What I bring to the table is experience from the government. Uh, everybody else here is wildly more experienced than I am. Well, Kevin, you've got a, a wealth of knowledge from your time over at the Secret Service, and I'm sure you're translating that over into the private sector these days. Uh, James, you want to hop in next? Sure. So um, you mentioned I'd contracted. I was on the Diplomatic Security Services contract for the State Department, worked multiple ambassadors in Baghdad and Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh, with that, that's when I slid over to the private sector and uh, started this Board of Executive Protection Professionals, which we'll get into in a moment. Well, thank you, James. And again, thank you for your service uh, to this country prior to your executive protection journey. And uh, with that, Gerard, uh, why don't you go next? Yeah, so uh, born and raised in New York, uh, moved to Boston some 35 years ago. I uh, was in the private sector security uh, for a while, started, um, uh, excuse me, went transitioned over to with some families, uh, worked for some families for a while, then uh, found my way over to contracting overseas, uh, was in uh, Haiti and Afghanistan, came back, started a company called Corporate Resources Group in Boston in 2000, owned it until 2012, sold it to a California-based company, and then started what currently is Omnium Protection Group in Boston in 2016. Uh, we provide uh, security consulting, security services, executive protection, uh, a national and international scope. Chuck, it's on to you. You are bringing up the rear. Awesome. Ron, good to be here. Good to be a part of uh, the show. Thank you for having us on. Um, Friends of Chuck, most people know that particular group uh, around the world in the security industry. 
It's made up of a lot of different verticals uh, in the industry. I'm kind of the renaissance guy uh, in this business, involved in uh, lots of pieces of that executive protection. My involvement is direct through the beginnings of the BEPP, which uh, I think it's about time we get into that, right? All right, perfect. And and that is a good segue. I appreciate you all filling in the gaps there. Um, And that's mainly what I wanted to bring you gentlemen on for. You've all had kind of a, a very different career path that's led you all to the same spot. And that is this Board of Executive Protection Professionals, also known as the BEPP. And so, Can you guys start off by explaining what this organization is, what the mission behind it is focused on, and what the impact or the impact that you guys want to have on both current and future executive protection agents and companies? Um, So in 2021, there was multiple conversations about how do we raise the standards of the executive protection field and industry? Um, How do we provide guidance to those that are in the industry? And then also, how do we provide guidance to those that are coming in the industry with the ultimate goal and the ultimate mission is providing uh, the safest protection possible for our clients. Ultimately, that's what our job is, right? Is the protection of individuals, families, and uh, assets. Um, Other organizations have had the opportunity to write standards. Um, They have not taken that task on. Uh, So myself initially, formed an entity called uh, the BEPP. And then I started sourcing other professional, seasoned professionals that are in the field uh, to start putting this board together. And that board is comprised of um, seasoned in- individuals, very seasoned uh, and experienced uh, professionals that all have something to do with executive protection, um, not just business operators or business owners, uh, not just the guys on the ground doing it, but we have representation from medical. We have a, a trauma surgeon. Um, and he is a medical director that oversees police departments and, and uh, gives medical direction to their medical professionals. Uh, we have drones, uh, autonomous vehicles. Uh, now, that person doesn't do EP, but he ties in with executive protection, right? So when we started putting this board together, that's what we wanted. We wanted a collective of uh, experience on the ground doing it, and then also who touches uh, executive protection, and how can we bring everybody together for that common goal of uh, providing a standard uh, for others to uh, use as a reference point and guide uh, for future operations. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, that medical director is Dr. Michael Gerges, correct? Uh, Dr. Gerges is actually part of the technical committee. It's Dr. George DeBusk, who's actually the on the board, an actual board member. Wow. So you guys have a collection of medical professionals there. And uh, our audience will know uh, Michael Gerges for sure. He's He's been on the show, talked about medical in an executive protection context. And uh, so you guys have a deep bench of individuals. And it seems like every couple of weeks, you're bringing on more individuals. You're making announcements of some quality people that are on the board. Um, and then again, you've got working committees. You have other entities that really are deep diving into some of this stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about getting into the protection protection standard. And that is the executive protection national standard that you guys are creating. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a standard that will have some teeth to it as the American National Standard Institute will be a part of the certification process. Well, it's it, it's a it's a current work in progress. It's a, about a year, year and a half, two year prog- process. And we're probably about six months total collectively into it, into that process. Um yeah, we as a board, as an organization, we did receive our American National Standards Institute accreditation. So we are a standards developer, meaning that we can put together a standard, we can write it as long as we follow essential requirements and our own procedures. Uh, and once it's written, we can submit it to ANSI. 
um, for their approval, where they look at all of our documentation. What was our process? Did we follow the essential requirements? Did everybody have a voice? And what was the procedures that we used? Uh, once they verify that we were fair, that's when we get the stamp. So we're still probably about a year and a half out uh, to getting that. However, like you said, um, it, it's 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 causing a, a tremendous wave of enthusiasm for the uh, for what we're doing. Um, and, and I think um, Kevin can probably back this up. The teeth that it has to it is organizations. Organizations can't use somebody's individual book as a way to judge how executive protection is done. They need an ISO or International Standards Organization you know, uh, approved or an ANSI approved document to actually validate what they're doing. And that's what we're going to be generating. And that's what we're going to be creating. So, Ron, when uh, when I came into this uh, into this group, like many people that are talking about this in the field, um, I came out of the government and I was looking for a standard. I was looking for something that mimicked what the government already had established, uh, just like everybody that does when they leave law enforcement and go into the private sector. And it's hard, you know. Um, so the standard that is out there for a lot of people is ACES. And I'm a member. Uh, most of the members of the board are members. But unfortunately, they did not write a standard for this particular area. Uh, and it was badly needed by the uh, by everyone. We were all looking for something that kind of gave us direction on, hey, what's the best practices? What's what what? How should we be doing this correctly? Um, I have my own standard. Uh, James has his own standard. Jerry has his own standard. Chuck's got his own standard. Everybody had standards, but collectively, no one had one standard that was the right, correct standard. Um, so I found this group online, and I volunteered. Uh, just like every, most of the people did in the technical committee, uh, James sent out feelers with Jerry and uh, asked for people to, hey, you know, who's got experience here? And we all sent in resumes. It was kind of like a, a new job hire. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know why they picked me, but the, fortunately they said, hey, you have some experience and um, we'd like you to help work on the technical committee. So there's a large group in the technical committee and we we have a framework that was provided to us, and we're writing a standard to fit that framework on the different subject matter areas. Uh, for example, like motorcades or side advances, things like that. And it, it's a lot of work, I'll be honest with you. It's a lot of writing, a lot of technical writing. Um, and then every end, of, we're not working together either. So, you know, people collectively take this data, it moves to the next level, and then they put it together. Uh, and then in the end, I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, James, Jerry, but I think somebody finally approves this uh, from everything that collectively is done uh, for the standard. It's it's going to benefit the career field tremendously. At the end of the day, uh, this is going to this is going to make a big difference. I think I think there's a part here, Ron, we should talk about. So you know, things things in life don't have any meaning without context. And here you have Kevin who is a senior manager who's responsible. And, and Kevin, you tell me if, if I'm getting this wrong, but you, you run your EP team, right? And uh, I run for the most part. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I have, a, everybody's got a boss, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But you came from government and you kind of came from that world, so to speak. And now I think it's really kind of a big deal when you're saying, you know, people and corporations that have responsibilities like this, let's just say in the EP world, are looking for that standard and that guidance, which now does not exist. And that's that's important to you as someone 
who has that responsibility in the corporate world. Is that a fair statement? Very. Um, I mean, we were all, all of us together were in Las Vegas uh, for the uh, close protection conference in December. And, uh, you know, that was my first conference. I've never been to one of those. And it was clear to me there, just like it's clear, it was clear online that there are huge differences between what's being done at some places and what's being done in some sectors. So, um, you know, uh, Ron, you're in California. You have the Hollywood set out that way. Um, that the differences in the way they do things and the way that corporate security does things are sometimes very different. Um, and and what I think uh, this group is trying to do is make a level playing field that everybody can have a basis for. People are going to exceed that. You know, they're going to be every. You know, not everybody wants to be an EMT or whatever. But there's a level playing field here. James and Jerry started the process uh, uh, along with you know, Chuck, to get it started to where everybody has a basic level coming in uh, and understands what's expected. No, I, I think that's great. And, and again, uh, everybody on this episode today, we're all ACES members. And and I think they do a wonderful job, especially on the security management side of standardization. And like you said, the window's been left open on the executive protection side. And, and again, for new individuals getting into this world or transferring over from law enforcement or the military side, where there is so much focused on either standard or policy procedure, and then you come over to the private sector side and you're going, all right, what do I have to do? And it's basically companies set their own standards. And it's it's difficult for smaller boutique firms that are looking to partner with other companies. How do we know that the standard and level of protection that they provide a client, especially our client, when they're maybe in a city or locality that we're not operating in or not certified for, um, how do we know that they operate at the same you know proficiency that we do? And and it's difficult to find that um, you know or to measure that with other companies around the country or, or, or around the world. Um, and I think you guys have really stepped out and tried to give that uh, a little bit of cohesion. So we're all operating off the same standard. We know that we have same level of proficiencies. Is that kind of uh, the idea behind what you guys are looking to do here? No, absolutely. I mean, uh, when we look at a standard, obviously a standard has to be reasonable, repeatable, and consistent, clear and understandable, measurable and achievable. Um, and and it, what we've actually found is there's a lot of great content that we're getting, but we're also having to separate out what are the must-dos versus what are the should-dos and separating those out. And that's where a lot of the arguments come into play, right? Because everybody wants to argue over the, the should-dos uh, and missing the must-dos. And I'll give an example. Um, if we're doing safe and secure transportation, the must-dos are, is the vehicle licensed? Um, is the driver licensed? Is the vehicle insured? Are the tires at, at proper pressure? Those are the must-dos. Now, the should-dos include there's hand sanitizer for the client. There's reading material for the client. There's a phone charger. Those are the should do's. Um, we're focusing on the must do's. That way, at a bare level, whether you have a, a large EP team or a solo practitioner, you can still achieve the standard because you're focusing on the must do's. As James says, is my company, we subcontract or we contract all over uh, the globe and what we find is as we're contracting, uh, you know, let's take let's take uh, internationally out of the equation right now, but let's take national. When we subcontract uh, to these other national companies, we have to provide them with direction because if we don't, uh, the attire is is different. The uh, the way they uh, handle the client is completely different. The way they do the advance work is completely different. And what we're trying to do is, unless we provide them that list of 
you know, this is how we want it done because this is our standard. Uh, they're not, they're going to do it a different way. So at least now when we provide this standard and somebody actually uh, is requiring that standard in their own organization, we at least know that they have a baseline of information and that we're speaking the same language. It's just like, I'm a CPP. I know that uh, James is a CPP, Charles is a CPP. So we all know that what we've what we've gone through to become that CPP. So we all know that if these folks have gone through the standard, that they know what we're what our expectations are if we're contracting to them. Oh, Gerard, that's it's so important, and especially in the context. And Chuck, you you brought up context earlier in the context of the fact that most of these companies are either contracting or subcontracting out, and now you have some way to vet. Uh, these other companies that you want to partner up with um, and doing that on the front end and knowing, hey, they have the same competencies and they've been measured, they're repeatable, and uh, they can do the same work to the same uh, standard and the same level that we would like our individuals and our clients to be uh, receiving uh, through services around the country. Um, and again, you're talking about this uh, this formulation of a standard that you're, you're putting in there. Um, right now, it's my understanding that this isn't going to be a forever standard where you pass this once and you're done um, and you're good to go for the rest of time. This is something that's going to be intervals of recertification or maintain certification, correct? Okay. So um, we have two different initiatives that we're, we're focusing on. We have the ANSI standard, and I want to touch base, especially for the audience, we are the BEPP. We're the ones that are driving the bus and, and uh, paying the bills. But it's it's guys and gals that are on the technical committee and the working group who are actually writing the standard. And at the end of the day, it's the technical committee, not the BEPP. It's the actual members of the technical committee that will vote to adopt this as a standard. And that is what we submit to ANSI. So I want to make sure that, you know, uh, there, there was question, well, who's the BPP and what makes you the subject matter expert? And you know why are you developing this? Well, it's it's not us. We are we're guiding the process, and we're the ones that have applied for ANSI and all that. But it's the 150 plus volunteers that we have that are writing the content, editing the content, and approving that content. Um, so I want to make sure that that's clear. So that's that's the ANSI standard. We are also on a simultaneous track, we're also working on a board certification. And that again is going through a company called Prometric. It's not the BEPP writing the board certification test. It's Prometrics that's doing it. We are providing assistance. And I have a real quick uh, short, when I when I spoke to Prometric to get this started, I said, look, this is what we'd like to do. I'd like the three, a three-hour test, 280 questions with a passing grade of 80%. And they, they told me, yeah, that's fantastic. You have absolutely no input on that whatsoever. I was like, what, what do you mean I have no input? And they're like, all of everything we do is data-driven. So they have their own process. Again, we're paying the bills, driving the bus, but they're the ones that are actually uh, putting in the work to develop the questions develop even what domains there are um, and develop the passing and the length of the test, not us. So again, for transparency, it's great that it is it is somebody completely different. Now, with both of those, they, they do require maintenance. So the ANSI standard, we do have a requirement from ANSI that if it's to stay current, it needs to be reviewed every five years. Um, that doesn't mean that it has to be completely changed, but as technology changed, for example, if we have a piece in the standard about drones, well, I can imagine five years from now, the technology is going to be different. So we have to review that piece 
and go through the same process of having a working group and a technical committee to review it in, in that cycle. Now with the test, with the ProMetric uh, board certification test, that actually has to, we actually have to add new questions every three years to their question bank. And they have a randomized way of picking questions. We just have to continue to add questions every three years um, and, and remove irrelevant questions um, to keep that test also current. Now for the individual who earns their board certification. Yeah, it's not in perpetuity. It's not like when you go to a training school and you get a certificate of training and it doesn't matter if you worked at Walmart for the last 10 years, you're still an EP professional. It doesn't work that way. We have uh, similar requirements to the uh, Society for Human Resource Certified Professional or the CPP, the uh, ASIS CPP, where it's going to be three years. You have to submit that you're still in the industry, um, uh, continuing education credits, things of that nature, and then it'll get renewed. Um, so you do have to have that renewal process, but yeah, none of these are in perpetuity. They have to be maintained. So let's talk a little bit about that continuing education credit section. Um, and these are for, uh, protectors to maintain the certification down the road. Correct. Um, and, and what would qualify, um, and how is it prioritized what these continuing education credits are? I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of that lifelong learning. You're going to be uh, continuing all the way through your career. So, so what do they have to do and, and what should they do? Well, I mean, this, this is still a work in progress, um, but some of our uh, the concepts that we have are very similar to other board certifications, right? That you have to pro provide that you've gone. Uh, conferences may be worth a, a, a certain amount of points, and we haven't even settled on what is the points for the three years. But conferences, you know, if you get a, an article published, maybe that's for lower points, Um you know, uh, if you write a book, there, there there could be a whole bunch of things as long as it proves that you're still working in the industry and that you're still engaged in um, bettering yourself as in, in the profession. Um, one of the things that I do like about our standard as well, which I think has been kind of missed by some, is by developing the standard, we actually created a um, career progression, which doesn't exist right now. Career progression right now is you go to school A um, and you work for a while, and then you go to school B, it's the same stuff, just different trainers. And that's what people are considering career progression. But we've actually uh, structured the the standard in a, in a way that it can take an entry-level person um, to know basic advances and things like that, and then goes all the way through uh, management where you're now you're dealing with family offices and all the um, things that go into that. So, um, and that could be playing into future education and that now I've gone through a TSCM course, uh, I've gone through a covert protection course, right? And those trainings can be added to those points. Interesting. And and I know, uh, Kevin, you know, I, I'm willing to bet you're familiar with REI, the, the uh, TSEM training company out in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. Um, but how are you guys um, in discussions right now? How is it, you know, you've got all these different training companies and everybody's got their own training portal and everybody's teaching a non-standardized form of different types of competencies. How are you guys in discussion on how you're choosing what companies are going to be somewhat, maybe not accredited, but approved for this, uh, you know, continuing education portion of the board certification? I think James said it best. We're still working on that process, but REI, as everybody knows, is probably the industry standard uh, for TSEM. I'm a level two operator. Uh, fortunately, my company pays for all of that. It's all free, uh, but it's not free for everybody. It's very expensive and the equipment's very expensive. Um, but back to James's point, this process that is being developed for bringing in expertise into this area. REI is one of those areas. James has had discussions with them directly. Um, 
the, the group uh, that he's collected for this process includes Secret Service, State, former State Department, uh, protective intelligence uh, professionals, private sector people like Jerry, who are leaders in the field, doctors, lawyers. Uh, it's impressive, the group that is working on this. And it's all for free. Nobody's doing this for pay. It's all for the benefit of the career field. So um, this entire process as a whole is completely, I've, I've never met Chuck. I, ne- I don't know Chuck. I'm a friend of Chuck's now. Uh, but, you know, without this group collectively coming together, um, this process, I don't think would have happened. It's, ju- it's just a great idea. Yeah, Kevin, I think you're right. Um, and much like an executive protection detail or a security management strategy, um, it can't really fall underneath just one single person doing all the work. Uh, You guys uh, have banded together, bringing a collection of security professionals to develop a standard and then on top of that, a certification process to really positively impact the protection industry here in the United States. So uh, I want to talk more on this, uh, but first I want to take just a brief pause to listen to a message from our sponsor, North American Rescue. So everybody hang tight and we will be back in just a moment. Today's episode is sponsored by North American Rescue, a medical and trauma care product company. North American Rescue is dedicated to decreasing preventable death by providing the most effective and highest quality mission-critical medical products to our military, federal agencies, civilian law enforcement, private security officers, EMS, and pre-hospital lifesavers. The company designs, develops, and tests these products based on the military's tactical combat casualty care guidelines rescue human factors engineering, evidence-based medicine, and an in-depth understanding of the requirements from you, their valued customers, ensuring that they remain at the forefront of casualty care as a premier provider of life-saving products and supplies. North American Rescue has assembled a seasoned staff of former special operations medics, experienced law enforcement professionals, SWAT operators, EMS healthcare providers, credentialed product development and quality professionals, former senior military medical officers, and expert consultants. Go check out North American Rescue's website to purchase their cat tourniquet and other medical and trauma care products to ensure your team has the best products and customer service care available in the industry. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. And today, again, we have a collection of security professionals on a panel discussion. And uh, this is Kevin Dye, James Cameron, Gerard Boniello, and uh, of course, Chuck Andrews. And uh, so we have been discussing this executive protection, uh, or the Board of Executive Protection Professionals and this Executive Protection National Standard. And uh, part of the requirements that they are putting together is uh, conference-based. And I'd like to steer the conversation there. Gentlemen, you have a conference that will be coming up later in the year. And uh, there are sponsorships available for that as well for for companies. And uh, could you explain a little bit of what the focus will be coming up for this, um, what you guys are looking to do? And and it looks like uh, there's some limited seating. So uh, if people are listening and there's still availability, hop on that uh, as fast as they can. Yeah. So um, through this process, you know, we started again in March 2021. If you would have asked me or told me in a year and a half from now, you guys are going to be where we're at now. I, I would just never believe it. We've gotten a lot of questions as far as additional 
areas that we're going to be touching in, in conference was one of them. Uh, myself, I go to a lot of conferences, not nearly as many as uh, Gerard or or Chuck. Uh, they go to a lot of conferences. And what we did was we sat down and said, okay, when you go to a conference, what are the likes and dislikes? What do we wish we saw? Right. Or how do we think it should be ran or, you know, what are the improvements? And that's, we collectively sat down and said, okay, here's what I've seen at other conferences that I really like. It really runs professional. And here's things that we don't like. And that's kind of what we did. And then we started sourcing what kind of speakers can we get? Um, and and the level of speakers that we have is phenomenal. I, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal from special advisors to Secret Service who had to get clearance to come even speak at our conference is amazing. Thank you, Kevin Dye. Um, former Assistant Secretary of State Diplomatic Security. I mean, these are these are phenomenal people um, to talk on topic. And that was the other thing is we wanted to make sure that we focused on the attendees. We don't want people just to go to this conference. Networking is great. That's a huge piece. But we don't want them walking away saying, oh, that was a great conference. I got to see so-and-so, but I didn't get any content out of it. We want that content. We want uh, we want people to go to be engaged in the conversations that are that are going on with all relevant topics. I, I can attest myself, I'm tired of going to conferences on executive protection. And they're talking about go bags. What should go in a go bag? That's not relevant to me, right? Um, I, 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 we need that higher echelon. Um, this is this conference, while we will have some entry-level practitioners, this is meant for the senior-level uh, practitioner. And uh, we've got some good things coming up uh, in the conference, not just the presentations, uh, but we're not doing registration. Everybody will get their credentials mailed to them, so they don't have to worry about standing in line or anything like that. Um, everybody will get a printed copy when they arrive of all presentations to include speaker bios, the presentations themselves, and uh, sponsor information. So that's a that's a big get for sponsors. How many times we've we gone to a conference and you see people taking pictures of uh, the PowerPoint, and then you go home and you don't remember what the hell that was about. So we're actually giving that to them in print form. Um, so we're trying to make these little touches um, that will bring value to those that are in attendance. James, probably important to point out that those materials will arrive at their home prior to their arrival at the conference, something that's just really, I, I can't tell you uh, 300, 400 conferences I've been to, never happened. So it's uh, pretty, pretty unprecedented. Is that, that's accurate, correct? The the print material will, the their credentials will, their print material they'll actually get on site because we want them to come on site um, to, to, to get it. They'll also get soft copies of it, but I know, I'm sure Chuck, you've been to conferences where soft copies are promised and never delivered. Um, so there'll be soft copies and then there'll be the, the actual hard copies where people can actually take notes as, as presentations go along. Yeah. It's pretty unique. Um, because, um, listen, uh, it becomes your kind of a, kind of a tool chest, right. Of knowledge. And now it's organized for you. Um, when uh, you're gonna you're gonna get that packet and you'll be able to fill it in uh, with all the documents and actually carry it away, make it actionable and make it a part of your library. That's a good point, Chuck and uh, Gerard. Did you have something to add to that? Well, I just want to say, you know, as somebody who goes to a lot of conferences, I know how much I pay for these, and uh, for the money, we're trying to make it affordable. Uh, it's going to be it's only three hundred ninety nine dollars for a, a one and a half day conference, and. Uh, like uh, James said, the top, the talent that we have is just unbelievable with these speakers and the information that they're going to be able to uh, provide to the attendees is worth every bit of that $399. And we're not changing the price. It's not, uh, 
you know, we're not saying it's 399 today, but it's going to be 425 next week. And as we get close to the conference, it's going to go up. We want people to invest in themselves, knowing that this is uh, going to be quality information. And I think after they, uh, after this conference is over, I think that it's going to be spoken about quite extensively through the community that this was uh, a great conference because I don't get involved with anything that uh, we we're not going to put a hundred percent into it. Uh, this is a completely volunteer basis. As a matter of fact, James has uh, bared most of the financial costs of this uh, in terms of the BEPP. My company, Omnium, has also contributed uh, to it, and uh, other folks have contributed in other ways. But from a financial perspective, this is all on the BEPP shoulders, and we're not out there trying to make money. We're trying to give back to the community that uh, has been very um We've been very blessed to be part of and it's done great things for us. So this conference is just another way of sort of paying it back in a way where it's affordable. And we look forward to, uh, you know, to folks coming out to see what a, uh, you know, what a, what a great conference we're going to have. Ron, the speakers that are at this, I know you mentioned it, but I mean, it is amazing. We've had between this group, we've had conversations where we've had to like literally stop asking people to present that are senior managers in the government because there's just no room. And, you know, it's, it, it's probably the best group I've ever seen at a, in my short time at a conference ever. I'm very excited about it. We're already booking for 2024. We have, we have so much interest, right, Kevin? And this is not just for, just so just to clarify that we have a lot of government speakers, but this is not just for government uh, folks. This is for private sector individuals. Uh, because everything that uh, we're going to bestow upon the uh, attendees, whether you come from the government side or the private sector side, they're all interchangeable in a way. And so uh, we have a lot of private sector speakers as well. Uh, So we just want to clarify that because they do see uh, a few folks from the government on uh, not only on our advisory board, which is amazing, but also in this conference, but it is for very much for the private sector. And that diversity really makes uh, you know, speaks loudly, right? Having that kind of experience from private industry and government, and of course, you know, you usually go from the government to the private industry. That is the traditional path, but you have that kind of diversity of experience that's going to come and be a part of this, and people are going to walk away. Now, Ron, I know you're going to ask me about networking, so I'm I'm a big networker, and look. Uh, and, and I tell folks, you want to win, show up. It's just, you know, there's real no magic to it, but you have to show up, introduce yourself, be involved, learn, be engaged. And showing up in June at the BEPP, people need to put that on their calendar, right? And make it part of their attendance, security attendance for 2023, checking off boxes of learning, training, relationships, and career. And, and if you want to be the very best in what you do in this business, you have to show up to these conferences. And this is going to be an, uh, an important one because it's the first one out the door that we're going to do. And you're going to want to be a part of that inaugural event because everybody's going to come and we're limited, right? So if you want a spot, uh, carpe diem. That's my response. Yeah, and, that, and that's that's really not a sales pitch of, oh, you better get your ticket soon. Literally, we have because this was an unknown for us and it's an unknown for everybody to be fair, right? Our sponsors is a challenge to get sponsors because they want to be part of it, but we're uh, unproven. 
but we're doing very well with the sponsorship side. We're doing well with the ticket sales. And we have very limited marketing because it was Christmas. Um, so, you know, uh, we've been doing very, very well. But it, it, we don't want to get into that sales pitch or, or oh, it's, you know, tickets are going fast. You better, you know, they're, they're going to sell as they sell. And there's no, you know, we want people to show up. And the 300 is that actually maxes out the room. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, that's kind of where we're at. One of the things that I did want to touch on as well, we started this organization to be fully transparent and give back to the community and provide uh, better, safer protection for our our protectees. Uh, and part of that transparency is we didn't want to sell tickets or announce this without having a speaker lineup. We've got that, right? So we there are some conferences out there, you buy tickets and you don't find out until a month before the conference who the speakers are. That's not what we're about. We want to make sure that we're, we're catering to the attendees. The other thing that is really important for us is the financials and, and the transparency with financials. Conferences are very expensive. Uh, I think this this conference this day and a half is about $180,000. And the sponsorship money and the attending money, that doesn't go to pay any money. None of us get any compensation whatsoever through this entire process, whether it's the conference, the board certification, anything in the future, it's it's not about our compensation. Like Jerry touched on, we actually are providing a lot of uh, financial support to this. Um, and again, further transparency, the, the ANSI accreditation is going to cost us about $70,000 and the board certification is another $100,000. So these are big bills. And we want everybody that's attending not to think, oh, this is just a money grab or, you know, we're, we're trying to put on the best thing we can and ultimately give back to the community. There's a lot of people that throw conferences that don't do that. And we can assure you, even if on our, on our website, you know, we're transparent on what do we monthly spend? Um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it here now, I guess. Um so this will be the first announcement is we finally received our IRS status for 501c3. We applied for that over a year ago, and we just got the letter last week. Um, so again, uh, we're completely nonprofit, registered with the IRS. All of our stuff will be transparent. I want to touch on the fact that with 300 attendees um, and, 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 and seats available, there is something to say about a more intimate venue setting. And uh, I think sometimes when you go to these bigger conferences, they all have their place. And there's a benefit for big conferences. ICS West is humongous. Um, there's some other ones out there. But it's difficult within the short span of time, whether it's three, four days or even the week-long ones, to really get in and talk to everybody. When you have thousands of attendees, you're maybe going to have you know three or four good conversations and everything's going to be on the side. So I think uh, if you're if you're having a room of 300 dedicated professionals that really have taken the time to invest and come to this conference, um, not just the speakers, which I've been rolling through the speaker lineup here, and uh, I'll post it on our show notes so so everybody listening can take a, a peek of that today. Um, but the value in who else is going to be there and the ability to make 300 good contacts within this industry. Of other people who have taken the time to show up. So I think there's benefit to that, uh, to your guys's point. And uh, could you guys do me a favor and could you give us kind of the who, what, when, where, um, title of the conference, where it's going to be, and uh, and the dates that it's going to be associated with? So the, uh, the conference is called the Executive Security Operations Conference, and that'll be held June 7th through 9th this year, 2023. And we are going to be doing it in Kansas City, Missouri. We pick Kansas City because everybody's got to travel um, and there's not a lot of distractions like a Las Vegas or anything like that. Uh, it'll be at the Lowe's 
hotel. All of our information uh, for this conference is on our website, ep-board.org backslash conference. Perfect. We will have uh, we'll have that available at the show notes. People can check out that website. Um, you know, some of the things you guys are gonna have a special guest keynote speaker uh, that that has not been announced. So I, I think that's gonna be be a nice uh, kind of surprise for people showing up. Uh, you do have your your speakers listed in addition to that, and so people can go uh, peruse this uh, this lineup of individuals and see exactly who's going to be there. The frustration I've had with other conferences is a lineup that you don't know until you get to the door, and then uh, sometimes uh, you're less than impressed with who you're who you're sitting and, and dedicated your time and money to sitting and listening to. Uh, that's not a problem with this conference. So, gentlemen, it'll be up in the show notes, and for our listeners, uh, you guys will be able to take a look at that. And uh, I encourage you take a serious consideration at adding this to your conference lineup for uh, 2023. Um, it's not often these days where you get a uh, inaugural uh, component to this, where it's going to be the first conference of uh, what I would believe would be many. Uh, you guys are already booked up for 2024, so definitely two in the pipe. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we're having discussions at our company right now of how many people we're, we're looking to send, um, and, and I think there will be some some value there. So I would imagine with 300 seats, you guys are close to, if not uh, near uh, capacity. So for anybody listening, when this comes out, jump on the opportunity here. Um, So gentlemen, as we close, uh, is there anything that we have not covered that you guys feel is important for our listeners? Again, we have the gamut. We have guys on the government protection side and the federal, you know, local state levels. Uh, We have private sector individuals uh, as well. So we've got everybody here and it sounds like your conference is going to be all encompassing. And uh, it sounds like what you guys are building here for board certification is going to be all encompassing as well, especially for those guys looking to transition from either military uh, law enforcement style protection into the private sector. So I'll give it to you guys as we close. just want to say that when we first started this, we did this for the, uh, the good of the industry. There was no ulterior motive. There was no agenda. It was just something that we, after uh, doing this for as long as we've been doing it, we said, you know, we, we can do it better and we can make the industry better. And this is not a, an industry where we have the luxury of making a mistake. If we make a mistake, sometimes people get hurt. You know, sometimes people die, as they say. And I think it was uh, in, uh, Jack Nicholson said. Um, we did it for those reasons and those reasons only. And it was, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous investment, both in time and in money uh, for the folks that are on this board. And we were met with some skepticism in the beginning. And quite frankly, I didn't think we would be where we are here either. But I can tell you this, we're only doing it uh, to improve the industry. And those folks that see us as competing with X or Y or, you know, have some kind of, again, ulterior motive, that's not it at all. So uh, we would hope that at this point in time that people uh, would embrace uh, what we're doing. Uh, and it's uh, it's something that we welcome anybody who has any input, investment uh, into the executive protection community or industry. If they're very if they're interested, then then please come to us. We we are we are still accepting folks for their expertise in in, in different areas. Uh, we just want this to be something that we can all be proud of uh, when it's all said and done. Ron, you can't progress a career field without a standard, and that's what this group is doing. Um, the standard is going to be everything. I think it's going to change uh, the entire career field, top to bottom, in the United States, and people are going to look at this. Uh, after it's done. And it, again, it's a growing thing. It, it's going to continue, but 
they're going to look back on this and they're going to say that that was a great idea. Uh, I'm, it's, I'm glad somebody finally did this to help the career field as a whole because we, we badly needed it. Well, and to that point, um, we had Richard Atch on the program last year, um, and he wrote a book, uh, Close Protection, a revised and updated edition. And, and I tell you, this thing is a monster of a book coming in at just over 850 pages. But uh, a lot of what we talked about on the podcast had to do with standardization, and he stressed uh, the need for standardization uh, throughout this industry. Uh, he's over in the UK, and we talked about the lack of standardization here in the United States. And, and uh, so you guys have taken the step to fill that gap and really get ahead. Um, and, and, and benefit the industry by giving us that national standard that so many of us have been looking for. And I think it'll be easier for us to operate company to company. Um, and there's benefit for, for everybody, not just the practitioners, but also the clients that are, are struggling to find reputable companies uh, as you know, private security and protective security becomes more and more prevalent in, uh, in the age we live in today. So again, thank you. All four of you for joining me today. I'll be sure to include each of your LinkedIn profiles onto the show notes so that our listeners can find you, follow you, and track the great work that you all are involved in. And uh, to our listeners today, thank you for continuing to listen to and support the Global Security and Protection Group podcast. Until next time, everyone, stay safe.